Life is strange, isn't it? Have you ever done something or said something and thought, now why did I do that? That was just mean, it was rude, it was foolish, and I'm the one who did it, and I don't even know why I did it or why I said it. There's so much that we don't understand about our own hearts, about our own motivations, about our own behaviors. And much of the time, our lives are so busy and so noisy that we don't spend much time reflecting on why we do what we do or why we feel a certain way or why we respond to certain situations the way that we do. But whenever we do stop to try to think through those things and figure out why we do what we do, we often find that the web of thoughts and experiences and influences and choices and motivations are so tangled and so complex that we cannot unwind them ourselves and, and sort of trace you know, things out from point A to point B to point, I did this because of this because of this. Go back to when you were a kid and your mom or your dad told you not to do something. How did you respond to that? My guess would be that there are some people in this room who were just bold rebels, right? If you were told not to do something, your parents might still be standing there when you said, is this what you meant not to do? Is this the line I'm not supposed to cross? And you just do it right in front of them just to see if they really meant it or not. Some of you are probably a little more sly and crafty, right? You'd wait till you thought nobody was looking, and then you'd test it out. Why am I not supposed to do this? I wonder what happens if I do this. Uh, even if you were the kind of kid that obeyed most of the time, right? all of us had rules that we broke. All of us had things we knew we weren't supposed to do that we broke those rules, maybe even just to see, just for fun, just for the sake of it, right? Uh, why? Why do we do that? Why is it that if your parent tells you, if you ever get assigned this book to read for class, I want you to tell me because I don't want you to read that book. Why is it that if your parent tells you that, that might be the only book you read for school? <laughs> what, what is it about us that makes us respond that way? How come when the speed limit was 70, everybody wanted to drive 75, and now that it's 75, everybody wants to drive 80? What, why can't we just be content with doing what the rules say we're supposed to do? Well, the answer to those kinds of questions are complex. But we find at least part of the answer in Romans chapter 7. So I invite you to turn with me there, if you haven't already, to Romans 7. We'll be looking this morning at verses 7 through 12. I had originally intended to stop at verse 11, but uh, as I was finishing my preparation, I, I realized I couldn't do that. I need to go at least to verse 12 and probably a little bit of verse 13. But I'm going to read verses 11 through 12 for us again. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about why things work this way. Why is it that having the rules and, and more importantly having God's law seems to mean that people sin more and not less? Why is that? Romans 7, beginning in verse 
7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the, law, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, this section begins with a question that Paul feels compelled to ask and then answer. And that question is, is the law itself bad? The way he words it is, what then shall we say? That the law is sin. Is the law itself sin? Is the law itself the problem? Now, why does Paul feel compelled to ask that question? He asks that question because he had said some things already that would no doubt make certain people think, especially some of the Jews, they would, it would make them think that what Paul is saying is that the law is the problem, that the law itself is evil, that the law itself is bad. So let me point out a few things that he said where you can see how people's minds, if they were sort of moving with Paul, they could start drawing some conclusions that were not what Paul meant for them to, to take away from these statements. For example, in verse 4 of chapter 7, Paul said, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So Paul said, You died to the law through Christ, so that you could bear fruit for God. You mean we can't bear fruit for God through the law? While we belong to the law? Isn't the whole purpose of the law to teach us how to bear fruit for God? Why are you saying that we had to die to the law in order to bear fruit for God? What's wrong with the law? Second thing he says is in verse 5 of chapter 7. He says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So the second thing he says is that our sinful passions were aroused by the law. The law did not tamp down our sinful desires. It stirred up our sinful desires. We sinned more once the law came and not less. So that again sounds like Paul is saying that the law is the problem, that the law itself is bad. Third thing he says is in verse 6. He says, Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So the law was uh, imprisoning us, in a way, Paul says, and we had to die to the law in order to be set free. Well, that doesn't sound like a very positive image of the law either, right? So all these things that he said make it sound like 
Paul is saying that the problem is the law. The reason we sin so much is the law. And so he assumes that there are some people listening to this letter or hearing him preach when he talks about these things who would say, hold on, Paul. The law was given to us by God. God is good. His law is good. You're talking like the law is a bad thing. You're talking like the law is sin. Is that what you're saying? Well, he immediately says, by no means, absolutely not, that is not what I mean. If you think that's what I'm saying, you have misunderstood what I said. Imagine, uh, to sort of get your mind around how people were probably hearing these statements from Paul. Imagine your teenager saying to you, you know, the reason why I keep getting in trouble is because you keep making so many rules. If there weren't so many rules in this house, I wouldn't get in so much trouble. If you want me to be a good kid, we need to whittle down this list of things I'm not supposed to do. It's the rules that are the problem. That's what it sounded like Paul was saying. And that's what many Jews apparently thought Paul was saying. The law is bad. The law is the problem. But Paul makes very clear that's not what he's saying. Now, this brings up an important point for us to consider. It is very easy to jump to the wrong conclusion about what somebody believes or what somebody is saying. You take one statement, one picture, one soundbite, and you think, oh, I've got that guy pegged. I know exactly what he thinks. I know exactly what he believes. I know what team he's on. I know what side he's on. I know what kind of person he is. And you've not given him a chance or her a chance to explain to explain himself, to, uh, to answer questions, to uh, you know, clear up misunderstandings. Paul uh, experienced this firsthand. Uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul comes to Jerusalem for the last time and he goes to the temple, he's warned, uh, you know, Paul, there are some Jews who, um, they don't have a very high opinion of the things that you're teaching. They, they have some misunderstandings about the kinds of things you've been saying while you're out on your mission. And so we need to be careful about what you do and what you say while you're here. And it turned out that that concern was not ill-founded, right? It was, it was a legitimate concern because here's what happens. Paul goes into the temple and there are some people in the temple. This is um, from, um, I think it's Acts 22, It says, uh, some people say, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And then Luke explains this. He says, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So they thought he had brought this Gentile into the temple, which would have been a violation of the laws of the temple. And they they thought that Paul was teaching people against the law and against the temple and against the Jews. All of those things were misunderstandings. If you know what Paul taught and what Paul did, you can see where those misunderstandings would come from. But none of those statements were accurate. None of those were faithful representations of what Paul said. 
So we need to be careful, not only with Scripture, but also in our lives, that we are not hasty and jumping to conclusions, that we don't assume people mean things or believe things or teach things we have not actually heard them say. And that we don't assume that just because they said something that sounds like they might believe X, that that means they do believe X, right? We need to be careful, show people uh, grace, give them the opportunity to explain themselves. That's what Paul does here, right? Paul is now going to explain why it is that the law is wrapped up in this problem, but is not itself the problem. He's going to tell us, I'm not saying the law is bad, but I am saying that the law is mixed up in all this bad stuff that's happening, and this is why the law is not able to save us, why we need a a Savior separate from the law. So where is the problem? If the law is not the problem, but there clearly is a problem, Where is the problem, and why does Paul say all these things about the law? He begins to answer those questions in the second half of verse 7, and here's the first thing he says about the law here. He says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So, the law and sin are connected. The law itself is not sin. The law and sin are connected, and here's how they're connected. The law is what helps us recognize sin as sin. Now, there are some things that uh, you don't even have to have the Bible to know they're wrong. Right? People know it's wrong to steal. People know it's wrong to murder. People know it's wrong to commit adultery. There are some laws that you don't even need the Bible to know that they're wrong. Right? Everybody knows that they're wrong. But there are other laws that... Uh, We need to have God say to us, don't do this, or we don't even know that it's wrong to do it. Right? So, first Paul says, it's through the law that I came to know sin, that I came to recognize the things that I was doing that were wrong. He said the same thing back in chapter 3, verse 20, when he said, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? So the law is not sin, but the law exposes sin. And he gives us an example of this. Right? He gives us an example Uh, In the the last part of verse 7, he says, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. That's the tenth commandment, right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house or animals or whatever. Do not desire to have what belongs to somebody else. Now, again, we know that it's wrong to take something that belongs to somebody else. But without the law, would you know that it's wrong even to desire to have what belongs to somebody else? Probably not. So Paul says, when the law comes and says, don't covet, don't desire your neighbor's possessions or your neighbor's wife, then that is when we realize, oh, that's, that's sin. That, that's a problem. I'm in trouble. I'm doing something wrong. I didn't even know that it was wrong. 
this reminds me of an encounter. Uh, I think I saw a, a video of this. It was an evangelist, uh, popular evangelist. You probably know his name if I mentioned his name. But he was sharing the gospel with some people, I think, in Southern California somewhere. And he was with some guys on the street. And, and his habit was to go through some of the Ten Commandments to show people their sin before then he talked to them about Jesus. And he must have been talking to them about the commandment not to commit adultery uh, because he said to these guys uh, who were, you know, probably never been in church or hardly ever been in church, probably hadn't read much of the Bible or anything like that, and he said to them, did you know that Jesus said that not only is it wrong to commit adultery, but it's wrong to look upon a woman with lustful intent. If you do that, you've committed adultery with her in, his heart, in your heart. That's in uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. And these guys were like, you've got to be kidding. No way. That's wrong? I mean, we know it's wrong to commit adultery. You're saying it's wrong to even think about that? Yeah, Jesus said it's wrong to even think about that. You wouldn't know that, right, unless God said it, unless God gave you the law. So this is something good that the law does, right? The law exposes our sin. The law makes us aware of sin and helps us to know what is wrong. And that is good and necessary because that's how we come to know our need for a Savior. It's not until we recognize how sinful we are, right? And that our sin is rooted not just in our actions, but even sometimes in our desires, even sometimes in our very thoughts, that we recognize just how deep the darkness in us goes. And that there's no way we can clean ourselves up. There's no way we can save ourselves. There's no way we can heal ourselves. That we need a Savior outside of us. And that's what Paul uh, was doing in the beginning of this book. Remember in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, he was hammering, 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 hammering. All of us are sinners. Gentiles are sinners. Jews are sinners. Religious people are sinners. Immoral people are sinners. We're all sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And there's only one way to be saved. And that is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must turn from your sin and call out to Christ for salvation and trust in Him. Because the law does not have the power to save you. You cannot be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. That's not what they're for. They're there to show you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, they're there to point you to Jesus. Right? So the law is good, and it serves a good function. It shows us our sin, but it can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. So sin is the problem, and not the law. And not only is sin the problem, but sin uses the law to aggravate our problem. Right, look at what he says in verse 8. He says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Some translations will even say, sin, um, you know, using as a, like a base of operations the commandment. That's seizing the opportunity. It used, it used the commandment as sort of a, a base of operations to produce in me all kinds of covetousness. Sin hijacks the law, in other words. The law comes in and says, don't covet. And sin says, ooh, I'm going to have a field day with this. Now we're ready to go. 
Right? It takes the opportunity provided by the commandment to produce in us all kinds of sinful desire. So it's sort of like we're, you know, we're just sort of walking around, doing our thing. Sin is there in us, but it's, it's dormant, it's dead. And then the commandment comes in and law, uh, sin springs to life. And all of a sudden we're coveting all kinds of things. We didn't even know we weren't supposed to covet before, but now we're coveting all kinds of stuff because now we know we're not supposed to. And sin has hijacked the law to produce more sin within us now that the law has come than we had in us before the law came. Here's how Paul says it. The end of verse 8, he says, For apart from the law, sin lies dead. It's, It's there, but it's not really active. He says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So God gives the law and says, if you'll do this, you will live. And we say, well, that sounds great. Except we can't do it. And so instead, we're dead. Sin uh, takes the law that promises life and instead produces death. And how does it do that? He says, uh, it, it seized an opportunity through the commandment and deceived me. And through it, killed me. How does sin hijack the law and then deceive us in order to bring about death? Well, one commentator pointed out it's probably not that much different than what happened to Eve. God gave Adam and Eve one law, one command. Don't eat from the fruit of this tree because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then what does Satan do? What does the serpent do? He says, well, did God really say you're not supposed to do that? Don't you think that if you ate from that, good things would happen and you wouldn't actually die? I mean, I'm pretty sure that God told you that just because he's trying to, he's holding out on you. He doesn't love you. He's just trying to keep you from being like him. He, he wants to keep you down. And that's why he told you you can't have that. Isn't that what often happens when uh, we hear a law from Scripture or our parents create a rule for us when we're teenagers? We think, well, if they're saying no, there must be something fun out there that they're trying to keep me from. Right? There must be some good thing that God doesn't want me to have or my parents don't want me to have. And that's why they said no. And so if I want what's good, I need to break this rule. That, that's how sin deceives us. Sin convinces us that God does not have our best interests at heart. He does not love us. He is not for us. And so the only reason he would tell us not to do something is because if we did it, it would be great. When in reality, God always gives the law out of love to protect us, to bless us, to, um, to shield us from those things that would harm us and destroy us. It's the same reason every good parent gives rules to their kids, because they love them, they want to protect them. And so sin deceives us through the commandment and brings death to us because it tricks us into breaking the law that God gave us. And so then we fall under the condemnation of the law instead of experiencing the blessing that God promised if we kept it. So the law 
is mixed up in all this mess, but it's not the law's fault. It's sin's fault. Sin is what twists the law. Sin is what hijacks the law. Sin is what takes uh, the opportunity given by the law to lead us astray, to deceive us, and to bring death to us. That's why Paul says in verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Everything about the law is good. And then he asks in verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? Is is it the law's fault that I die? He says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. That's why this happens this way. So the law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. But the law is also not the solution. When we read the whole chapter earlier in the service, we we got down to the solution. And Paul says, you know, I want to keep the law even. I I even try to keep the law. I, I know that the law is good and I still can't do what the law tells me to do. What a wretch I am. Who is going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He is the only one who can save us, who can forgive us, who can give us new hearts, and who will one day bring us into his presence where we'll see his face and never, never sin again. We'll be perfectly like him. So the law can reveal our sin, but it cannot take away our sin. It cannot give us the power to obey. Sin uses the law as an opportunity to produce sin in us, to deceive us, to kill us. And because of that, God uses the law not only to show us our sin, but to show us our need for a Savior, to show us our need for Christ. And we don't don't have to understand how all this works, right? You don't have to untangle all the webs of motivations and choices and influences. and You don't have to figure all that out. You just need to know the root answer for our wrongs, why we do what we do, is sin. You just need to know that sin is the problem and it's so deep and so powerful that you cannot root it out of your own heart. The only way that you can be delivered from sin is to die. And that's why Jesus died. So that we could be crucified with him. And that's why he rose. So that we could be raised to new life. Freed from the power of sin. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally able in some measure to walk in his ways and to look forward to a day where we'll be able to do that perfectly in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray.